are looking this morning at 1 John chapter 3, where I had left us off, and then I'm going to pick up um, in uh, chapter 4 next week. But the church, since its very first days, has been in a battle. And that battle is both without and within. The battle outside the walls of the church is the persecution that the, that the church experiences. And the church is persecuted in every generation. Now, more so in other parts of the world right now, we as American Christians really have not seen the kind of persecution outside of the church that many of our brothers and sisters experience. But since the very first day, there has been a challenge that grows within the church that has been part of the church for every generation. And that challenge is when false teachers rise up and teach things that are, aren't, that are not true, that convey things that aren't biblically accurate, that aren't true. And this was certainly a huge problem in the first century, and you read it, in Paul's writings, and Peter's writings, and Jude's writings, and John's writings, time and time again, challenges to biblical truth. Now the question becomes, why is this important? Why does it matter? I would tell you today that what you believe will inform the decisions you make in this life. Everything you do traces back to something you ultimately believe. And some of those beliefs you've had since you were just a little toddler, since you were just a little girl, a little boy, and they're still a part of you. And you make decisions in light of those beliefs. What I've learned to do in my life is when I do something that I shouldn't do or didn't do something that I should do, I trace back and I think, what is it ultimately in that moment that I believed about God, about myself, about the world? And so what you see in 1 John is that John is focusing on, on handling and combating the tension within the church that was created by these false teachers. What we believe matters. I want you to hear this, uh, this story in 1879. There's a man named Lieutenant George DeLong. He was an American, and he set off with 28 men to claim the North Pole for the United States of America. Now, there was a problem that he didn't know existed. Here was the problem. There was a false belief about what was really at or in the North Pole. All the map makers, the cartographers, what they had done was they based their maps upon a fallacy, upon a falsehood. And that falsehood was that there was a portal that you could go through. Once you break through the ice of the North Pole, there was this beautiful open seas with no ice and just teeming with, with the life of, ocean, of the oceans. And so with that belief in mind, he set out on his trip. What he found, though, was that that was not true. 
There is no portal that exists. The North Pole is ice. There's no breaking through to open waters. And the result was a catastrophe. Almost every one of them died. Their ship got stuck in the ice and they didn't survive. What was the problem? They made decisions based on something that wasn't ultimately true. And so this is why truth matters. It matters because we make decisions based on what we ultimately believe about God, about ourselves, about the world. And so much of the New Testament is combating false teaching in the first century, friends, that still exists today. It still exists today. Now, we have new forms and we have new categories, but there are still false teaching that will enslave us, keep us from being free. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to be reading in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, which backs up to three weeks ago when I was with you and talking about, about how can we know that we're saved. This is the issue that permeates 1 John. John is answering this question. How do I know that I really have salvation? How do I know that I've really met Jesus? How do I know? How can I be confident? And he says this, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with action and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? I like that. We'll talk about that in a moment. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Here's what I want you to see here this morning. We're going to see that John brings clarity with regard to this question of our salvation. How can I have confidence? He brings, he brings clarity. Now, this is what he says in verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how I can be confident that I belong to the truth. This is how I can be confident that I'm on the right road, that I'm on the right path. And there are some of you here today that struggle with that kind of confidence. And so the Lord gives us this in the passage. But I want to lay a little foundation very quickly. When I say reformed understanding, we, theologically, we as a church are in the reformed tradition of the church. And here's what we believe. We believe that true salvation is a permanent gift. It's the gift of grace. We do not believe that cr true Christians can lose their salvation because of what we believe about the perseverance of Christians. But listen to what it says. True salvation is a permanent gift. That's grace. 
What is grace? Grace is something I receive from God as a gift. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. God does not owe this to me. It's a gift that he gives to us. And so it's a permanent gift from God, but here's the kicker. It inevitably, it necessarily needs to result in a growing life of obedience to God. That's what faith is. Grace drew me to Christ. And now grace, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, is working by faith in my life to conform me into the image of Jesus. And that's what he's doing in your life as well. When we let him. When we choose to obey him. Now, there are two extremes when it comes to this. The first is legalism. I'm not picking on you. I'm going to pick on them in just a minute. But it's legalism. What is legalism? It's the belief that my salvation rests not on God's grace, not on the nature of God and the character of God, but on my ability to live an obedient life. And so if that's my perspective, I am always looking at the laws of God and seeking to obey and to obey, and my, I don't have that confidence of salvation. Why? Because it's based on what I do. Praise God, that's not true. And the Apostle Paul deals with this, particularly in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians. We are not legalists because we are saved by God's grace. It's a gift, and we receive it from him. But here's the other extreme, and I'm going to pick on you now, you licensed people. What is license? License is the belief that there is no connection between God's grace and how I live my life. It's the belief that I can live life however I want. Why? God's already forgiven me. It's a license now to do whatever I want. I run into this, both of these extremes, all the time. I see it all the time in churches. We are to live in this tension that God's grace has drawn me to, to Christ. And by faith in Jesus, I have been saved. I have been made a forever child of God. But it empowers me to want to live a life of gratitude and love for Christ. Which is why Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, it's interesting, in, Romans, in, in the book of Romans, Paul writes... He says this, I love this, if grace is so great, shouldn't we go on sinning so we can experience more of it? That attitude is here today. No, Paul says, that's ridiculous. You don't understand. Of course not. I want to obey as an expression of gratitude and a response to God's working in my life. So when it comes to true salvation, we are to live in that tension. Yes, I'm to obey the commands of God, but I don't command, I don't obey to be saved. I'm already saved. I obey as a response to God's wonderful grace, and I live right there. So let's look at what John says this morning about how we can be confident and clear about our salvation. 
Now, as I share this, there's four things I want to share with you very quickly. Four beautiful pictures that God gives to us. And you're going to see in that this tension that exists. We are not legalists. We are not those who believe that God, what Christ did for us, is a license to live however we want to live. It's a gift from God, and we respond with love. So here's the first thing, and John deals with this actually throughout his letter. It's being responsive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, we back up to verses 17 and 18. What we see is, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action, with action and in truth. Now, here's what happens. A sensitive person who kind of lives more on this legalistic side remembers, oh my gosh, I remember seeing somebody in need and I didn't do anything. Oh my goodness, I was in a situation where there was a need there and I didn't respond. Does that mean I'm, I, I'm not a Christian? And what we have to understand here in what John is saying is, number one, it's not a moment or a failure in a moment. He's already said in John 1, 8 and 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to what? Forgive us our sins. He's faithful and just. It's right because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So it's just and it's complete. So we know that already. But some people, their hearts will convict them. And some people have very sensitive, very sensitive spirits so that they're always feeling convicted. And some of you will be thinking, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. We are not to allow just our hearts to convict us. It has to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what it says. This is how we know we belong to the truth and we, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Now, I love that phrase. If you have a, your own Bible, underline that. Such a great phrase. We, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. What does it mean to set my heart at rest in his presence? Here's what it means. I'm at peace in the presence of God. I am confident and clear about my salvation when I'm in the presence of God. So he's saying, here's how you can know. Here's how you can be at peace in his presence. Here's what it says. If our hearts condemn us, we know God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Yes, we can have moments where we wonder based on how we're living our lives. Am I really, do I really know Christ? But we know that God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than our conscience. He's greater. We'll get to the balance of this in just a moment. He's greater than our hearts, and he knows everything about us. And we are forgiven by his grace. But then it says this, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit... Remember, when we come to believe in Jesus, God sends his spirit to live in us. And when he sends his spirit to live in us, we can now have a relationship with God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So what does all of that mean? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us 
of sin. Now, let me, let me give you a picture of this. So I'm just kind of walking through my day, and, and I say some things to some people, and I do some things, and I'm just kind of walking. All of a sudden, an alarm goes off. Ding, 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 ding. That's not an alarm, is it? But an alarm goes off. And I stop, and I think, okay, Lord, are you wanting to say something to me in this moment? Are you wanting to reveal something in this moment? Am I doing something, or am I headed in a direction that you don't want me to go? Have I just failed to see something that you wanted me to respond to? Friends, here's the reality. You and I cannot respond to every need in this world. We can't. So we have to allow God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us to those things that he wants us to make a difference in. And so I'm living my life, and I hear this, and I, and I sense that God is saying something to me, convicting me of something I did or didn't do. And instead of just going on, here's what we often do. We hit the snooze button, and we keep going, right? The alarm goes off, we hit the snooze button, and we just keep on walking. You do that enough times, you'll begin to drown out the voice. What we do when we hear that, we stop. And we say, okay, Lord, is there something that I have not done or something that I have done that I need to confess to you and make right? Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have stopped because I just sense, oops, oops. I remember one time somebody asking me about this area of ministry that I was leading, and I was telling them all the great things that were happening, and I started to walk away feeling really good about myself, right? And I'm walking away, and all of a sudden, I just sense from the Spirit, that is, that's, there's no humility in that. What are you doing? What are you doing? Live to please me, not people. Live to honor and glorify me, not people. There are times when, when I begin to just kind of stray off that road that God has set before me. You know, the path that he has created you to walk, to walk and I'll just kind of wander and I start wandering around. And I listen and all of a sudden I hear that alarm go off. And I stop and I say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? If the Holy Spirit indeed is in our hearts, and indeed the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we need to learn to listen to his voice and to respond. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Ooh, this is fun. Boldness and prayer born out of our relationship with God. You see, when the Spirit comes, when I believed in Jesus, I received the Holy Spirit, lives in my life, lives in my heart, and empowers me, as we'll see in a moment, to live the life of faith. And so what we see is a a growing boldness in prayer. Do you see that in your life? A growing boldness in prayer. When I pray for things, here's what I do. I picture God creating the world. I picture God creating the Grand Canyon, creating the oceans. And you know what? All of a sudden I realize, wow, God could take care of this little thing in my life. He could deal with this little thing in my life. 
man, God is amazing. He's powerful. He, he created the world just by speaking his word. That's the God of the Bible that I worship. He can do anything. So, here's what this means. This doesn't mean that God's going to give me everything I want. Ugh. Wouldn't that be great? I want to win the lottery. And I'll get 50% away. 90% away. Right? So, what is he saying here? Here's what he's saying. That as I grow in my faith, as I deepen in my understanding of God, and my knowledge of God, as I have a relationship with God, he reveals to me more and more of what he wants for the world. And what he wants for me. And what he doesn't want for me. And so what happens is I receive that, I receive that truth into myself. And I begin to pray for the things that God already wants. I begin to pray for the things that God longs for. Friends, if you don't pray, it means you don't believe it makes a difference. We read right here. We receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Many of you were with me when I did a series on the Lord's Prayer. And you know, this doesn't mean that we get what we want. In fact, often what God does, he always does what's best for the kingdom of God. And he always does what is best, ultimately, for us because we want what is best for the kingdom of God. But I want you to hear this story because is there, is there anybody here besides me who has ever had to wait for God to respond to a prayer? Just a couple of us. <laughs> Listen to this story. It was a hot, hot afternoon. And this lady had a neighbor who was a farmer, and he had a, a stand, one of those great produce and fruit stands. It's fruit of produce. It is? See, I'm learning every day. So it's a produce stand. And it's hot. Really hot. And the line is long. She gets in the line. She's been very faithful to support her neighbor. And they're, she's waiting in line, and he's taking time with everybody, greeting them, welcoming them, getting them what they order. And finally, it's her turn. And right now, she's kind of irritated because she's had to wait so long. I mean, she's a very faithful customer. She shouldn't have to wait, right? So she gets up there, and she says to him, to the farmer, I, I'd like a bunch of grapes. And he says, stay right here. I'll be back. And he leaves. Now she's really starting to get irritated because he didn't do that with anybody else. He got them what they wanted, but he's making her wait. And she sees herself as one of his best customers. Why is he doing this? And he comes back, and she's just really inside, just kind of grinding. And he comes out and it, with this big grin on his face, and he hands her this, this bag of, of grapes, and it's the most beautiful grape she's ever seen. He said, oh, you've got to try one. Try one right now. So she tries it. It's the best grape she's ever eaten. And then he says this to her. I'm sorry I kept you waiting, but I needed the time to get you my very best. What if 
the waiting is really God's very best for you? What if the waiting is God doing something incredibly profound in your life? You know what? The periods of suffering and waiting in my life, as I look back, are the best periods of my life. Because God reveals things I had never, ever seen before. And this author who had shared this said this, how long have you been waiting in line for God to meet a need, solve a problem, open a door? Whatever you do, don't get out of line. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Here's the third thing. What I've learned is, what I've learned in my life is that, you know what? I often do not see what God sees. We're going to see this when we do this study beginning uh, September 19th. The study that's going to look, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to talk about this upper story where God is seeing all things and the lower story, which is our lives where we don't see all things. And you're going to see how God brings everything together. It's extraordinary. Here's the third thing I want you to see, and that is the joy of transforming faith. The absolute incredible joy of transforming faith. What do I mean by transforming faith? I mean that God is making you different each and every day. That over time you look back and you say, wow, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not that girl anymore. God has made me more loving, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more faithful. He's made me into something more wonderful. Now, we are going to stub our toe. John did the, uh, dealt with that in John 1. We are going to stub our toe. We are going to make mistakes. But here's the thing. Over time, over time, there is a transformation in us. Listen to what he says in verse 23. And this is his command. This is his command to you today and to me today to believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. These are the standards by which we lay our lives. And the question isn't, am I 100% doing great or am I 0%? The question is, every day, am I growing? Am I growing? Am I growing? Do I see over time that I am loving Jesus more, that I'm loving others more? Am I more... The person God wants me to be in the home, in the school, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the family. Am I, am I becoming more of what God has called me to be over time? What does it mean to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ? A name in the Bible represents all of who somebody is. My name was given to me, I think, because it, I had an uncle, an Uncle Don. Who doesn't have an Uncle Don? <laughs> and back then, names were given as a reflection of somebody's character. Remember when Jesus looked at Simon, and he said, Simon, Simon, Simon. No, your name is no longer Simon. Your name is now Cephas, which means rock. You are the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. The name reflected the call, reflected the purpose. Jesus, Jesus, the one who comes to save. And so what we see in a name, 
is that it represents everything that Jesus is. His nature, his character, his purpose, his, his design. Everything. I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I say I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that I just intellectually affirm that. It means I give my whole life to that. If Jesus is all he claims to be, he is the king of the universe, and he's the king who rules over my life. And so, I seek to obey. I seek to follow, because that's what it means to believe. I can say I believe that, that uh, mint chocolate chip ice cream is better than Rocky Road. So what? Right? I can say I believe that the world is not flat. Okay. So what? But when I say I believe in the name of Jesus, it means I give 100% of who I am to him. I lay my life and surrender my life to him. And the last one I want you to see is this. The presence and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. How can I be clear about my salvation? The Holy Spirit lives in me. Listen to what he says. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. In who? In God through the Holy Spirit. The one who keeps God's commands is the one who lives in Jesus. If you have your own Bibles, underline those, the, those two words, lives in. More than 30 times, that Greek word, which is abide or live, is found in the Gospel of John more than 25 times. It's found in the three letters that John wrote. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he lives in them. I live in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that he gave us. God gave me, and he gave you as a Christian, his Spirit. And through his Spirit, I get to walk with God. Now, God doesn't break through. I don't, it's not like I'm hearing God all day long. No, 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 no. I hear him as I listen to somebody teach or preach. I hear him speak to me by his spirit when I read the Bible. I hear him when I focus my attention on him in prayer. I hear him, not all the time, but I hear him when I go through my life and I just pay attention to that alarm. I don't hit snooze. I have before. And I will again. If it's something I really want to do, right? But I don't hit snooze. Because I don't want to silence the voice of the Spirit. In this, we see that in 1 John, let me just share this with you before I close. We see in, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 10, that the result of living in in God through the Spirit is loving one another in Christ. 2.17, it's doing the will of God. Verse 24 of chapter 2, honoring what was heard from the beginning. 
Chapter 2, verse 27, receiving God's anointing, which we talked about. And chapter 3, verse 24, keeping his commands. The Spirit of God is changing us as we allow. I know that I belong to him and I'm forever secure in him because I see his work in my life. I see how he's changing me. And praise God for that, right, Beth? He's changing me. Yes. I want to close with this story. I want you to imagine that you've never sailed before. You've never gone sailing. But you decide, you know what? I really want to go sailing. So you go out, you know, buy a sailboat, and then you go to Amazon, and you download all these great books about sailing. Here's how you sail. Here's how you hoist the jib. Here's how you hoist the main sheet. Here's how you tack. Here's how you sail. And so you read all these books, and you kind of become an expert on sailing. And then one day, what you decide is, you know what? I need to take another step. And so you contact somebody who's been sailing most of their life, and you sit down with that person, and you talk with them, and you interview them, and you get all the information you, have, you can about sailing. Hey, tell me more about sailing. What do I do in this situation? What should I watch out for? Finally, you're ready. You take the boat down to the lake. And you put the boat in the lake. And you, and, and you get in, in your boat, and, you, and you, hoist, you hoist the mainsail. And you hoist the jib. And all of a sudden, it hits you. You can do all of this, but only God can make the wind blow. Friends, the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to his people. And as the wind blows, as the Spirit blows in and through our lives, we are changed. We are transformed. We are free. We are reminded of what is true. We are convicted of what we believe that is not true. And we seek to live in a way that honors him. Let the Spirit of God flow in your life and through your life. Be, be his child. Live in him as he lives in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of this passage that encourages and teaches and challenges. Lord, how thankful I am that, that your word, every time I read it, every time I study it, I realize, oh God, you are so amazing. I am so thankful that you called me to be your child. And I am so thankful that I get to walk with other brothers and sisters learning what it means to receive the grace of God and to respond with faith, trusting that the commands of God are what, are, are what is best for us. Speak to every heart, Lord, and use your truth to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.